0: So I'm going to pick up here in Galatians 3, if you all follow along. Um, If you all have your scripture journals, that's great. If you don't, we still have some on the book cart in the cafe. Uh, That's got the scripture on one side, a page for note-taking on the other. That's our gift to you. But Galatians 3, verse 15, picks up here and says this, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by the intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had given... Been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until everything, uh, until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's God's word for us this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise. And God, this morning, we thank you for the law. We thank you that the law promotes our Lord, points us to our Lord, points us to our need for our Savior, And God, as your people, we come here this morning to not only worship you, but to be sanctified by you and your word. God, would you do that this morning? Would you show us ways that we've fallen short? Show us ways where we've turned to to our works to attain favor instead of works that would glorify you. God, would you just convict us of our, our sins? And God, would you lead us in your ways? God, would we remember the law of Christ To love you and to love others. God, and as we do that, would we boldly stand on your word, seeking to be changed by it each and every day. And with every breath we give to glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at at this passage, I've got uh, three points uh, for you all this morning um, that we're going to go through. The promise of Christ, the promotion of Christ, and the people of Christ. The promise of Christ, the promotion of Christ, the people of Christ. First point, the promise of Christ. This is really important because what was going on is you had, again, the Jews and Gentiles uh, were not friends. They were absolute enemies, right? The Jews looked at the Gentile people as unworthy, unclean, um, unredeemable people, right? We all look at each other as uh, unclean and unworthy. And we, we should. We should also look in the mirror and say, we are unclean and unworthy of His goodness and of His righteousness. That's why it's grace and mercy when we talk about God. Um, we know that we aren't worthy. Um, but when we look at others, uh, we, we shouldn't impose man made conditions. And that's what the Jews were doing with the Gentiles. Now the gospel is extended to the Gentile people, and the Jews just can't stand it. Even the, the uh, Jewish Christians who have now come to believe in Jesus have done and obeyed the law, and they've fallen and they've failed, but they, they followed circumcision, the, uh, the, um, the feast, and all of the celebrations. They've done all of it for their life. And now these Gentile people are believing in Jesus and now are heirs to the kingdom, heirs according to the promise, and they don't like that. They don't like that they now just get to come and be a part of it. So now they're imposing God's law on the Galatians as a way to attain righteousness. Church, we should seek holiness That should be our goal with one another when we're in groups that we're holding each other accountable to the word. We're encouraging one another in the word. We're talking about our our, um, shortcomings, but we're talking about our success the things that we've done well and the things that we're not doing so well. And church, I'm sure that we all have a list. We want to talk about the list of bad a lot, but we should also share the good. Hey, I bought somebody a coffee and shared uh, the gospel with them. Hey, I got the love um, on a family this week and just care for them and meet some of their needs. I got to do some of these things. Because what that does is that encourages one another to do good works for the glory of God. We should also talk about those good lists. But we should talk about those, those, those failures too. Because in doing so, we can encourage one another to say, hey, I get that you may have fallen, but look to Christ and understand that you're forgiven, and how can we get better at this? What are some things that you can do to to begin to become a more patient person? Right? What are some things that you can do to become a more gracious person? What are some things that we can do to have a harder work ethic so that our work ethic and our workplace would be one that represents the work ethic of our Lord and our God. All of those things. We should seek holiness. We should be holy for the Lord our God is holy. But church, when we impose works on people as a way to attain righteousness, we are no longer preaching the gospel. And they wanted to look to the law. And Paul's point here is that the law pointed to the promise of Christ. It always talked about the coming of the Messiah. Paul wants the readers then and church us now to understand that the law given to Moses at Mount Sinai did not do away with the Abrahamic covenant hundreds of years before this. He says this, right? It's it's, it's very important. Verse 15, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls or ratifies it once it's been ratified. See, covenants are a big deal, and it's, it's something that we're not as familiar with now, uh, but when you sign your, uh, your loan right for your house, maybe you get a mortgage, maybe you've leased a car, uh, you do that, and you drive off the lot, and you're like, hey, like, I want to change something. And they're like, no, it's like all done. You'd have to, like, we'd have to come up with a new contract, and this one would have to be fulfilled before we can do that. I'd love right now to like call my mortgage company and be like, hey, like interest rates, like, well, right now I wouldn't want to, but like somewhere down the road, like, hey, interest rates are just better, let's just change it. They'd be like, yeah, you have to pay us money to do that, you get a new contract. Covenants were a big deal, and you can't simply do away with a ratified, that's a, a finished covenant, right? Once it's in place, it's done. And what he's saying, he's saying in Genesis 12, church, this is where you read about the covenant promises, like what is going to happen, all the promises God makes to Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. And then in Genesis 15, you actually see the ceremony of this covenant. And God's the one who walked through this covenant. He didn't need Abraham. Abraham watched God make these promises. He watched God uh, seal the promises. And church, we get to watch God fulfill the promise because the promises come because the promise is Jesus. We get to see all of this. This covenant that he made that God, our holy God, made with Abraham is unconditional. It was not dependent upon anything that Abraham would do. Church is not dependent upon anything that we can do or that we've done. It's not about his faithfulness. It's about God who is faithful and this promise of the coming Messiah. We read about in the promises uh, to Abraham the land that God promised them. We read about the the children that Abraham would have, who was without child at the time, that he will have children. But also in that, from the blessing of his children, God says that he would be a blessing to the nations. And that's because of Jesus. Nothing about this this covenant uh, has simply been done away with because of the law. And that's what Paul wants to be made known here. The promise was of Christ, it was there, and it was not done away with. They were looking to the law and imposing the law as if the promise to Abraham was annulled with the promise to Moses. He says here, he says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and offsprings referring to many, but offspring referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ, Paul says. Says this is what I mean. The law which came four hundred and thirty years afterward, and you can. See, this is so practical, right? You just you understand the argument here. They're focusing on the law, and Paul's like, go back to this promise that God never did away with, because God doesn't just give up on promises and covenants like we do, right? We are a people who just we stop, right? It becomes difficult. Things are just tough, right? We've got a dog, I'm like, man, this is difficult. Like, I'd love to just, and I like look at him, and I'm like, mm, I can't just get rid of you, right? Like, the Wu family wouldn't take you, the Lopez family wouldn't take you, Robin and LaDonna. Nelson's got two dogs already, six kids. Like, I just, like, who, who's going to take the dog, and no one can have my dog, right? Like, I just have those moments, and that's what I'm saying. We have those moments where we just give up on these covenants. We're just done, But God doesn't do that. And he says, look back 430 years before and remember the promise that was made that that God was going to bless the nations through Abraham. And we know that through Abraham's seed came David, and then through there came Jesus, who extended the gospel to the Gentile people. Who The Galatians, the Jewish uh, people there in Galatia, were now imposing the law on them as a way to attain righteousness. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul, it doesn't do away with the covenant previously ratified by God. That means God sealed it, God did it. Abraham had nothing to do with it. He was just a witness and an heir of the promise. doesn't do away with it to make it void. He talks about this offspring. Let's look at Genesis. I just want to give us some context. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, talking about the promises. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And you see later on in Genesis twenty-two eighteen 18, continues on this, this blessing. says, And in your offspring shall all the nations... So offspring, right? That's the word Paul's been uh, beating on here. Shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. He's going back to this because it's so important to look at the promise that Jesus was talked about. That Jesus is our promise. That when we we look to the law, we see the promise of Christ. Because the law does not separate itself from the law or the the promise to Abraham. R.C. Sproul says this about Paul here in chapter 3. He says, He, referring to Paul, is affirming that Christ is the seed, the descendant, to whom the promise finally, uh, talking about Jesus, sorry. Uh, Christ is the seed, he's the descendant, to whom the promise finally refers so others become Abraham's seed by virtue of their union with Christ through faith. They're so closely related that, that this promise pointed to the law and the law pointed to our need. That we need to have a Savior. We need to have the Messiah come in our place to die for us. To be our atonement. This is what Paul is establishing. Because the gospel has also gone to the Gentiles. And the gospel from the Old Testament to the New Testament has always been about faith in the Messiah. To them the coming, to us the one who came. We have to understand that. Have to get that. In verse 17, it doesn't just go away because it's God's covenant. He ratified it. You want to know, like, how bad we are at, like, just canceling deals? You should talk to to Aubrey about, like, all of her Facebook marketplace interactions, right? You all, maybe you all are guilty. I'm not guilty of this. This has happened to me, right? My wife has done this to some people where you get a deal. Someone's like, hey, like, I'll come pick up that couch, 50 bucks. And you're like, all right, deal, right? I was putting it up for 100. Then someone 15 minutes later, 20 minutes before the person's going to come pick it up, they're like, hey, I'll give you 75. And you're like, hmm. I'm going to go get the $75 deal. And you tell the one person, you're like, actually, plans have changed. And you don't want to admit that, like, what you've done is, like, wrong. So you're like, we decided to keep the couch. The husband's going to use it as a gaming couch. We got a dog, and we're just going to let him, like, ruin it. So sorry. And then you go with the other covenant and let it happen. That's not how God is. God has not given us Christ so that we would be under the law. Christ has freed us from the law because the promise is Jesus. Look at verse 18. For the inheritance, for if the inheritance comes by the law, is no longer the promise, by the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now, what can happen here is that we look to Jesus so much that we just discount the law, right? The law doesn't matter. But church, the promise doesn't discount the law either. Rather, church, by the law, we see the promotion of Christ. Point number two, the promotion of Christ. Because when we look at the law in church, we must look at the law because the law shows us our need for our Savior, but we must understand that the law promotes our Savior. It elevates Him. It shows Him in the light of the law and in our depravity that we fall short of the glory of God god and that we need a savior and the only one who ever could do it was jesus and he did it and he fulfilled it on your behalf so that when you stand before the father by faith in the son you're righteous that's what the law did that's what the law still does it promotes the lord church and that's why we love the law but what we don't do is impose the law on people as a way to attain righteousness Paul says this in Romans 3, verse 20. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what's the purpose of the law, right? Knowledge of sin. And it was then. When God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, he knew what Moses was going to be walking back down to off that mount. He knew the wretchedness of his creation And he knew in giving that law that none of us would fulfill it. The law wasn't a way to attain righteousness. It was a way to point us to the righteous Christ. And they wanted to focus on the law and impose it on the church in Galatia. This is why Paul sees it as important to write to them and to tell them. So through the law comes knowledge of sin. And at church, when we recognize our brokenness we can then move toward our desperateness, right? Now we see, we look at the law. Don't, don't get down on yourself as if there's no hope. There is hope. It's Jesus. It's our Lord. It's our Savior. We see we are desperate for Christ and the law exposes our sin and promotes his righteousness. Look at verse 19. Paul asked this very question that I just said. Why then the law, right? If it's through faith, then what was the law for? He says it was added because of transgressions until the offspring referring to Jesus, should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Church, what can we be guilty of without a law, right? So what Paul is saying is there had to be a law so that we would understand our guilt. And before the law, we were still guilty. Creation was still guilty before the holy triune God. But the law was put in place so that we would see our need for our Savior. So what the law does is it promotes Jesus. We should should honestly wake up every morning and think about the law. Because what it does in your life, it shouldn't promote um, humiliation. It should promote humility. And there's a difference. There's a difference. There's a difference in in guilt and shame compared to remorse and repentance. Romans 4.15 For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. We had to have the law so that we would see our transgression and we would be pointed to our Savior. And he says that this was put in place until the intermediary came. Until the promise of the offspring, Jesus, would come. See, a covenant requires a mediator, right? You need some kind of mediator there. But unlike all the other covenants, this one was strictly done by God. He ratified it. And he displays his complete sovereignty in doing so by establishing the covenant, by maintaining the covenant and fulfilling the covenant on his own, for Christ Church, is our mediator. He's our promise. He is the offspring. So it is promoting Jesus when we look at the law. So the law should not be, we don't want to be a church that just forgets the law because oh Jesus, Jesus did away with it, right? We would love to be, I, church, I would love to do that. I'd love to just kind of like forget the law and be like, we just need to love people and love others. And, and that's great. Actually, Jesus said that. He says, love God, love your neighbor. He made it really simple. But you know what he also said? He said, Teach others to observe all that I've commanded. You know what Paul and the early church were doing? They were going through the law. Why? Because the law promoted Christ. And what it should do is lead us into a place of praise and adoration for the one who came and fulfilled that law. He says, why then the law? So that it would promote Jesus. Because what it does is it exposes us and shows us our need for our Lord. And Jesus is our intermediary. He's the mediator, right, between us and the Father. Church, when He sits at the right hand, He's representing you right now. And praise be to Him for doing so. That the job is not done. That He's still speaking on our behalf, our brother, our Lord, working for us. And We've got to be the people who follow Him. You see... When you look at the law, we should not see righteousness as a way to salvation, right? But we should look at it and say, I want to live this way because of my Lord. Point number three, the people of Christ. That's what the people of Jesus do. The people of Christ live for him. See, they were promoting uh, a works-based salvation. We promote what Martin Luther says, a faith that works, right? like a, a faithful salvation, one that, that, that produces good works. A lot of our, our faith is like uh, the, the Michael Meadows uh, gardening, right? I throw some seeds out, and I don't like, do anything with it. I don't even water it. I don't tend to it. I just expect it to happen. A lot of us say we believe in Jesus and expect stuff to happen. But the people of Christ do not impose works to attain righteousness But what we do is we carefully examine the word and seek obedience to it. Because that's what the people of Jesus should do. The people of of Christ have a purpose in Christ, right? He says this, is is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not, for if if a law had been given that could give life, right, then righteousness would indeed be by the law, right? If we could work our way to heaven and back into a relationship with the Father, It would happen, but it couldn't. It says, The Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was given as our guardian until Christ came. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Church, there's a key right here. If you have professed faith, then you partake in baptism. That baptism doesn't save you, but what it does is it says, hey, I'm not just professing. I want to start telling the world there's our step forward. I want to start talking and communing with God. I want to be in fellowship with other believers. I want to do all these things that Jesus did because Jesus saved me and gave me a new life to live for him. And it is because of what Christ fulfilled that I can now go and do. You see, when you look to the works of the law before Christ, you will fall on your face every time. Now, when you're a Christian, you're excited about falling on your face. There's a difference here, right? We understand that we're gonna fall, but we wanna get back up because in doing so, we know that we're representing Christ and not ourselves. That's the difference between us and works based We do it and we will fall and we will fail every time if it be for the glory of God. But we will strive to finish that race knowing, hey, maybe I have a really good year somewhere between now and the end of my life, I'm going to fall and fail somewhere. It may not be horrible, but we're going to do that. I think about it in, in my parenting life, right? Like, it's just, it's not if, it's when. Like, when am I going to have, like, another blow-up? When am I going to have another meltdown, right? Like, when are they going to just drive me up a wall again, right? When are they going go to go to someone's house and get a bunch of sugar again, right? You know what I'm saying? When people watch our kids, you just tell it's like, you all were good, and I know why you were good. You're about to be really bad. The people of Christ have a way to live. And it's in accordance with his word. And it's not for our salvation, it's because of our salvation that we do these works. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And he goes on in verse 28. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. This is important for them because the Jewish Christians and the Jews, right, were imposing the law on these new believers to attain righteousness. And he says, look, there's neither Jew nor Greek anymore. There's no slave, there's no free, there's no male, there's no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Church, that's why we can set our secondary issues aside. That's why we can set our preferences and our hobbies aside, and we can go to group with people that we don't have the same interest in life with, we don't have the same maybe political stance on everything with, but so long as we are focused on the word and we're upholding and maintaining the word and wherever it says you must, we do, then we can get through it. Because we are all one in Christ Jesus. And we should be seeking righteousness because he has given us the power to do so. You see, Christ fulfilled the law and established the new. But he did not abolish it. The law, church, says we must. Christ says we shall. Do you understand the difference? Because when we look at the law before we know Christ, we have to uphold it, we have to maintain it. We must, it has to happen. And if you don't, there's punishment. Christ says we shall, and those in faith who've believed in him now can. Did you know you can now fulfill the law? Not perfectly. But he's given you his spirit to go and to live according to his will and according to his way. You see, I think about the the new covenant that Christ has established, the new law, the law of Christ, to to love God with all our heart, might, and soul, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so fulfill the law of Christ. That attains the law. Like when you think about the law and then what Christ established... He gave us the power to be able to do so. The people of Christ have a way to live. Romans 6, 15. I want to end here. Ben, you can come back up. I've got two more passages. What we don't want to do is be a people. Ah, Christ has just, just set us free, right? Just, the law doesn't matter. No, Paul says this. It's the same question we would ask. What then? Are we to continue to sin... Because we are not under the law, but under grace, by no means. And then Romans ten four, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's the difference. We no longer look to the law for our righteousness. We look to the law because of our righteous. But if you don't know Jesus, there's no end of the law. And that burden that you're carrying is the burden of self-righteousness. That every day you're going to try and work to fulfill, and at the end of your life, you're going to realize that you never could. And let me tell you something, you're sitting in a room with a bunch of people, and none of us can. And a lot of us have come to realize that now, but if you've not, then you need to repent and believe in Jesus, because Jesus fulfilled it, and so established the second, the law of Christ. To love God, and to love our neighbor's. And because of what he did, we can now go and live according to his will and according to his way and obediently and faithfully to his will. Church, would you stand? I just want to sing uh, just, just one more song. We're going to just worship our, our Savior. But I want us to think about that. As people of Christ, are we living according to his word? Have we just done away with the law because Christ fulfilled it? Or do we look to it knowing that it promotes our righteous Savior. See, the law is important, but the law should not be imposed as a way of attaining righteousness, for no one can attain righteousness on their own. The law points to the promise of Christ, it promotes Christ, and it gives us a purpose as the people of Christ. So this week, go out and put Jesus into perspective, invite somebody over for coffee, and just share the love of the Lord with them, reminding them that that burden can be lifted if they would just repent and believe, surrender to Christ. Father God, thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you for the law. God, I'll be honest with you, it feels weird thinking you for the law at times. It just, it, it exposes us. It exposes our wickedness. It exposes our heart. But God, when we're exposed, we have a choice to draw near or to depart. So, God, I pray for each and every person here that as we are exposed for our our sin and exposed of our sin, God, that we would draw near to you. God, we would draw near to you through your word, through prayer, through fellowship with other believers. But, God, that we would promote you and your righteousness just as the law does. That we would promote that we can be, be forgiven of our sins. We would promote that we can have life by the finished work of Jesus. That we would promote that you can't do and you won't do anything to attain salvation on your own. God, I pray that we would promote those things and lead people into the truth of your word. God, and we would do so because we have been found to be a new creation in you. So God, remind us that we are a new creation. Remind us of our purpose as your people to go and to love and to live for you according to your will and according to your way. God, I pray uh, for this week as as we go about in beautiful weather ahead, God, that we would seek the opportunity to just serve our neighbors to care for people and to point them to our Savior. Father God, we praise you. We praise you. We praise you. You're so good. You're so gracious to us. Uh, So lead us in this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray.